0: Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. If you have a friend, I'm sure you've <laughs> heard something very similar from him. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today on the podcast. So he comes to me and he says, I've got to talk to you, Dave. You know Sherry, made up name. Um, and that would be otherwise his Wife <laughs> he says, "I just don 't feel it anymore and I said, What do you mean you don 't feel it anymore? knowing full well kind of where this conversation was going i don 't have it anymore for her. The feelings are just not there they 'd been several years, many years since <laughs> that way into their marriage, with kids, and basically <laughs> He was saying, "Um, we just don't have it anymore. What's it? I asked. (laughs) He said, that spark, you know, that spark, that emotional energy, that I can't wait to be with you, I can't wait to talk to you, (laughs) that thrill, the excitement, all of those things (laughs) that you have, certainly on the front end, of any relationship that other that should then in with any intention end up in marriage. And with that, what most of us associate with infatuation, dating. You know, when that person (laughs) catches your eye, he, she, they, them, and you come to realization there's something here. Not I could certainly identify with his lament because for most of us who've been certainly in dating relationships, been with a significant other, a partner for a significant period of time, whether married or not married, whether with kids or not, you know, it just either isn't easy to get back to if it's still there, find it, reclaim it, experience it, or maybe we've all thought at some moment or point in that relationship, we've lost it. It's not there. So I told my friend, I said, Are you sure you want to do what then otherwise? And there was the other thought that was going on in his mind, and probably more than a thought, he'd already chosen to go down that path. It's one thing to have preconceptions or conceptions, but it's another thing to begin to put actions to them. And uh, he said, what do you mean? I said, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I've already started, begun. I'm in an affair. And I told him, I said, you shouldn't do that. And of course, we know The biggest reason he shouldn't do that is he should talk to Sherry about that first. But if he doesn't speak to her about that, then what is he doing? He's not only made a choice, but there's another part, a partner, a part, a a component uh, of this that deserves to know. Um. I'd love it if we could all stay in that state of infatuation forever. I, I've come to the conclusions after this conversation with my friend. More than ever before. And I explained this to him. I, you know, I want to stay there. Sometimes I can be there. Most times, if I am there, it's because it's requires of effort, energy on my part. But if I choose not to remain in the relationship, if I choose to, as with marriage, divorce the person, if I choose to separate, it's going to not only impact my wife, my significant other spouse, wife, husband, if you're a woman, but the kids. That's a lot of lives involved. And not that you shouldn't have a right to make the decision or choice. It's yours to make. It's my friend's to make. But at the same time, everybody should be involved in the decision-making. Then. <laughs> to have an affair, you to do it rightly in my opinion, you need to go to the person, probably before you have the affair, and say, listen, this isn't working. I am going to have an affair or I'm going to leave you and at least allow them, permit them some input in the situation. Now, whatever you believe or don't believe about what that means in terms of trust and promises and, you know, in this case, what marriage for my friend, what marriage for all of us, hopefully, encompasses some promises Some unique, special sort of status. Maybe it's exclusivity, but it certainly means, even if it's not exclusivity, it means that this thing is going to endure and continue, and nobody else is really going to have that privilege of exclusivity. Uh, I'm your person, you're my person. And we need to stay together. And if that's what the relationship is based upon, a promise of exclusivity, you're my person, then somebody else can't be. But I could certainly empathize with my friend's dilemma. But I did ask him, to think about how he was resolving it and had he not already <laughs> made a bigger mess of it by not talking to Sherry. Psychology Today, June of 2022. I'd rather not know Arash Imam Zadi. Avoiding information about one's partner may always, may not always be a bad thing. Open, honest communication is often considered the key to successful or relationship success or successful relationships. But recent research finds that for many there's plenty they'd rather not know about a partner. In the study, more than a third of people in relationships noted at least one question They prefer not to get an answer to from their partner. Common topics included infidelity, a partner's sexual history, and others. Surprisingly, participants most wish to avoid information about the partner's past behaviors rather than their present behaviors, explained study author Maryam Hussan, a researcher at the University of California, Merced. Some groups were especially averse to learning about a partner's past, including those with anxious or avoidant attachment styles, who may fear that learning too much could exacerbate relationships issues. People want to preserve the relationships, or at least preserve the picture they have of them, Hussein says. Older participants showed a greater tendency to avoid information than did younger ones. This may be because emotional regulation skills typically strengthen with age, the authors write. Improved capacity for managing negative emotions, then, may help older people recognize that sometimes it's okay not to know everything. Again, I'd rather not know avoiding information about one's partner may not always be a bad thing. By Rosh, a, mam's a day. So, do we or don't we really want to know? Now, why I began with that story about my friend is we don't know if Sherry wanted to know or not. All we know is that my friend. Who Sherry is a factitious name. We'll call him Ed. That's factitious as well. Ed didn't want to tell her. Which kind of suggests that, though it may have been what we used to call an open relationship, and the article suggests that more mature people may be better at some degree of emotional regulation skills. I don't know. Maybe it was just a different culture, a different time, a different way of looking thing at things at relationships. maybe things were more f- or were less fluid then more defined we tend to what goes along with at least our desire for more liberties we tend to perceive structure to be something that needs to be thrown out baby with the bathwater uh, but I kind of like structure. I think most older individuals, myself inclined to be in that category, are probably going to say, well, that's not the way we used to do it. But there is, again, something to be said for the structure or at least something to be said for that ability to communicate openly and honestly, which Ed was not willing to do, which suggests that maybe this relationship between Sherry and Ed, my friend Ed, was really constructed of more of a traditional model of monogamy. (laughs) And again, what does that mean? Most likely, in most general sort of terms, most of us would think it's that one person, exclusivity sort of concept I tried to present at the beginning of the podcast. And I think that's probably true in Sherry and Ed's Relationship and Ed was basing his decision to have an affair without telling Sherry. And you could say, Well, isn't that what affairs are? (laughs) Deceptive lies. Yeah, probably so. Uh, But the concept of just moving on, leaving one, maybe it is one and the same with. Ed's mindset to have an affair, it, maybe the difference is well, we just don't make promises like that. We just don't subject ourselves to anything that would s- seem or s- uh, resemble a long term commitment, even when there are kids. And again, that is just opening door to many, many other considerations as I tried to present when it comes to families, kids, children. And that's an important salient factor. <laughs> but there's all sorts of other things that go into that. Finances. And all sorts of ideals about what we want at the end of our life. Materially, relationship-wise, emotionally. That kind of goes in with that consideration. Uh, expendability, moving on from one to another. Probably is the same sort of thought that goes along with Ed's consideration or conclusion that he was going to have an affair. But again, regardless of whether you see relationships as expendable, that should be negotiated or a key to the negotiation of that relationship on the front end. Possibly is what we're saying. But if you should have happened to go a little deeper than you wanted to or maybe didn't realize it until you get... Neck deep, as they used to say, where friend Ed is at this particular point in his marriage to Sherry, it's a little too late. You have to face it. You have to talk with Sherry about it. But if you go and have an affair, all that's going to do is complicate it. It messes up the empiricism, the facts, the truthfulness, the reality that conclusions that you draw... The realities that you kind of live your life by or at least again in some defining sort of measure terms. Now if you are as inclined to be in that state of freedom or liberty you don't even like that concept. There's no such thing as reality. I suppose this podcast probably doesn't mean anything to you. I don't know that we're all there yet. Maybe again as with younger people Maybe we'll get to that point where there isn't such thing as reality. It's just what you want it to be. And if that's where we're headed, then this podcast probably really won't hold any merit. But I still think there's enough of whether you construe it as the older generations uh, or maybe more immediately so or imminently so. uh, Those who would be in relationships that have lasted several, many, many years Well, we're probably all inclined to not yet quite be there. You can't just go out and do whatever you want and live a fantasy. It just doesn't work. There are consequences to it. So, when Ed, friend Ed, makes this decision, he probably needs to take into consideration is this realistic? Is this real? And what, then, is the basis? What's the reasons? I'm going to go back to infatuation. You know, used to call it the seven-year itch, which basically means, after a period of time, all that stuff that feels really good on the front end, infatuation, sort of directed, first love even sort of directed. it's going to fade. It's going to pass. And could we stay in that forever? I'm sure most of us would. And maybe it would eliminate, you know, what they used to call also serial monogamy. Where you go from one to the next to the next to the next to the next. But mm, it's really not monogamous other than during the period of time that you're in it. (laughs) You promise not to. But at any moment or any point along the way, it could be the end of it because... Mutual, hopefully, decision making. Hopefully, it's not singular, but if it should be singular. Someone might say it's over and we're going to move on. And the other partner's still left with trying to figure out is that what they want to do? How do we do this properly? How do we negotiate this new reality that we're stepping into? As you can tell, it gets complicated. All of the, those factors that I've mentioned. <laughs> Make it more complicated the more relationships you have. And if you're not bringing them out into some light of either awareness, shared awareness, all the decision makers having some opportunity to have some input, it'll become even more complicated. And the last thing you want to find yourself in, should you be a person of any integrity, and not that Ed doesn't have any, but... This would certainly question to what extent or degree he believes in integrity, how broad does it go, and what does it encompass. You may find you're in two relationships. (laughs) Now what do you do with that? Both of them believing they're your person. Uh, Both of them with some promise that (laughs) one day (laughs) they're going to be the survivor. The relationship is going to endure. It's going to be one of those keepers, long-term relationships. So when it comes to that feeling, I don't know that you have to move on to get that first love experience. I don't know that you have to move on to get back to that place, which is where my friend began our conversation. I just don't have it. I don't feel it anymore. You can, because every relationship, whether it's emotionally or physically or both, established is going to have some of that feeling. But in the end, is it really a first love? Because you can only really do a first love one time. But you can recapture a bit of that, and if you're in leaning more toward the fantasy than the reality and it seems the easier route because all this other stuff seems to complicate things so much and that's a lot of work and there'll be a lot of accountability and all sorts of other things to go along with that child support and alimony and legal and I tried to remind Ed of that when we were having our conversation not to dissuade him In his decision, but just to try to, as a good friend probably should, not just offer opinions, although my opinion would be don't do this to Sherry, just the facts. These are facts. These are factors. These are negative factors, or at least they're a little bit of an encumbrance, and if you don't handle them properly, they have the potential to bring adverse or more painful (laughs) negative sort of experience experiences that go along with it, and that would take a lot away from your pleasure-pain dynamic here. (laughs) I just want all that intense pleasure on the front end. I don't want to get hungry. I don't want to get thirsty. I don't want to get tired. I don't want to get bored. I want it to all be fresh and new, and I want it to all feel like it was the first time. And again, most of us realize that's not true. It's not going to stay that way no matter what you do. Even the affair that Ed's chosen to engage in is going to eventually hit that same spot. And he's going to have to do something with that. But I don't fault Ed for his desire again for his idealism and in some ways then I, it's relatable probably is <laughs> why I chose to bring it up on the podcast. The article caught my attention because we all know what that feels like and we can't fault Ed for wanting that <laughs> even if most of us might for the sake of all of the right things to do and minimizing the exposure or risk of adverse things, which always seems to, again, include pain, we may endure relationships that seem loveless, or at least we have to redefine the love, and doesn't include that infatuation, doesn't include that passion, doesn't include that thrill. It's just so much the routine, maybe that's why the younger generation Oh, really is more inclined to almost resort to fantasy why would we sign up for that that sounds itself so tedious and difficult the routine becomes so much a defining aspect of it that it wears us out we get burnt out on it which is probably realistically where ed is and probably also what really is the basis of the seven-year itch you know it's the old saying familiarity breeds contempt I don't know, again, if that's entirely true or always true, but it is a truism. But if you could realize, even in long-term relationships, especially if you kind of consider you can only do it once and have it called the first-time experience, maybe you can get back to that. If you bother to sort of think about and put some energy into undoing whatever seems to have happened as a result of kids and routines and obligations and commitments and promises kept and all those things that seem like such hard work. But I do think there's some merit to staying the course. And I don't know that you have to have either serial monogamy or affairs to recapture that. I think what you need to realize is is that we just need to remember it. Maybe that's why it's so profound on the front end. is that you never forget it. Maybe memorizing, (laughs) if I could say it that way, your story, your life. Maybe that's really what marriage becomes too. It's a narrative. It's a story. This has something to say about not only one's sexual history or past, but it is a continuance into a present context. And with that, then, it gives you a lot of information. You can ask a person about well what is your story <laughs> you know, what is your past relationships been like you could say well that's the past and we just need to do it with the present and again for the sake of at least what seems to be infatuation and if it is the first time for you maybe it's not for them what are you going to know <laughs> you're going to process that subjectively which isn't necessarily bad again it's good right that you can have all those feelings and that intense pleasure But maybe what we're saying is, is the history goes along with narrative, which goes along with thought, which goes along with paradigm, which goes back to Ed and Sherry. When you make a promise to stay and endure and (laughs) to go through the worst as well as the better, usually they tell you about the better first, because at that point you're really not going to listen to anybody tell you about the worst that could come up. You're not going to believe it. This is different. We're going to do it differently. You'll never do that to me. That's all part of, again, that infatuation. But I think it's wise to ask questions. If the person's been through it before, and if they've gotten to the point where they've resorted to recreating that first love experience by going out in, again, some serial fashion, some pattern Maybe you should ask them or yourself at least, what does that say? And what's going to happen to me? (laughs) When we get to that place where it's not so much just rose colored glasses, (laughs) it's not so easy to find the passion. We have to kind of go through the weeds. We have to unpack a bit of all the stuff that accumulates, that so weights <laughs> that so easily beset us, that hold us back, that keep us from remembering. It's important to memorize. It's, maybe, maybe that's immortalized. It's important to have a history. It's important to know what you're shooting for. What is the definition? What's the standard? besides just pleasure I'm not saying pleasure is awful or bad I'm not even going to condemn people who choose to have an affair except that they didn't talk about it before they had it or that is with we, what we were saying earlier as with what we pointed out earlier it's not on the up and up and that's not right nobody would say that's right that's deception it's lying, cheating, and stealing <laughs> it's complicating it's breaking promises. can't have trust. You don't believe in the other person, you can't believe in the relationship. But should you choose to have a pattern or your life as it reflects then that pattern of choice, after seven years, we're going to move on, tell the person, Don't get married. Don't make a long-term commitment. Might even consider whether you want to have kids or not. Not saying that kids can't survive or flourish, even in that type of a a situation. It's just kids are not set up that way, they're set up for emotional attachment. (laughs) The article speaks to anxious attachments, anxious attachments, nervous attachments. Maybe in that sense, avoidant attachment styles. Maybe in that sense, then this emotional management or regulation concept that the article also mentions maybe has even more specific application as a possible explanation. Because people who are young and who are attaching for the first time, (laughs) they don't know any better. And they don't know what it feels like. And attachment is everything, but everything that's attached, if it becomes detached, or if there is some sort of separation, if there is some sort of break in the relationship, for kids, they're going to process it as abandonment. (laughs) Or at least they're going to be rightly scared that the person may never come back. So just be careful with the kids. But if you're an adult, make sure that you didn't grow up with that because you too may still be under the influence of that. Some groups were especially adverse to learning about a partner's past, including those with anxious or avoidant attachment styles who may fear that learning too much could exacerbate... It's going to exacerbate relationship issues. It's going to remind you. I'm not saying that's what creates, then, as an answer, serial monogamy, but I am saying that there's probably a correlation and, and even the article suggests it's causative. If you grow up with this, you're going to probably be as likely to not ask for that data and information. You're not going to likely be or want to be exposed to anything. Memorize anything that would remind you of what it feels like. And in that, you're going to be in denial. Now, I'm not saying Sherry's in denial. But that often happens. That couldn't happen. Even with the evidence presenting itself, surely that's not happening. The offended party, yet to know that they really, the extent of being of the offense or how much they've been offended, they have a hard time Believing this until the reality hits him square in the face. Now, again, hopefully, when Ed goes to Sherry, he does it in a kind of considerate way. Because even if he should choose to end the affair and go back to Sherry, he's already breached, <laughs> in a personal level, that, I guess, structure, that commitment, the integrity. His wall of integrity, his fortress of integrity has been compromised. And it's going to impact his attachment to Sherry. Now, you could say, well, isn't that then the reason why nobody should make promises they can't keep? Well, that may be true, but it may also be that if you don't go having affairs and you rightly appraise situations on the front end, and you ask the questions, and then each party who's about to engage in at least some significant my-person dimension of relationship with another person, human being, should be openly disclosing, then maybe there are some relationships that could survive that. Maybe there's childhoods where parents don't lie, cheat, or steal, where they stay married, where it's not just drudgery, maybe they can remember why they fell in love. I know that sounds simplistic, maybe even too romantic, and maybe even too emotional, but isn't that why those maybe strong emotions are there in the front end? Isn't that the the wonderful thing we're seeking after to recreate that, to get back to that place of your first love experience? The infatuation is not evil. I've come to the conclusion it's the greatest gift. What's evil is if you don't commit it to memory. If the present, if the circumstances of present life are beginning to Remind you in a bad sort of way, of childhood, past relationships, of that initial loss of that first love, betrayal. I could have started there. It'd probably been an easier point to make than the way I've made it, but I, I wanted to at least get you thinking about it. For every promise, that there's, that's broken, that there's been someone to break it, it's hard to believe the next one. And that's where possibly some element of discipline does come in. At least be disciplined enough to talk about it openly and honestly with your partner, Ed. Talk to Sherry. Sherry, don't run from it. Don't deny it. Deal with it. If you need marital counseling, go see a marriage therapist or someone who does relationship counseling. But also, you might need to go see someone who does individual counseling. Again, that's my profession, but in the context of it, it was a friend relationship. And so, as I've disclosed on previous podcasts, I try not to be a professional and friendship relationships or friend relationships. (laughs) It's hard to separate the two because I'm a person of integrity. It's hard to turn my brain off. I just don't presume the role of a professional or try to artificially recreate it with my friends, (laughs) especially as we've designated it friendship because otherwise I may come across as a bit shallow authoritarian (laughs) even if I'm really just authoritative I know it because I've learned it I've seen it myself others you come to me because I'm objective I'm not going to allow my own personal stuff to get into your stuff but it's all part of talking to somebody And should you talk to your friend, hopefully they can be as much like that as possible. Although, there certainly may be a greater liberty in the friendship zone of offering personal opinion. But even with Ed, I didn't say, Ed, you can't do this. I just said, Ed, do this the right way. And I'm not going to apologize for that. Because that's core to my professional demeanor my ethics. Do it the right way. Talk to somebody. Get all the data. Make sure that they're asking you the questions that maybe you've asked yourself. Maybe you've come up with answers. But you're too subjective. Your perspective. You're in it. It's you. You're not going to be able to be that objective with yourself but also then allow that format to apply to the relationship. And hopefully you've not promised something, broken the promise, failed to deliver on it, and are going to have to somehow backtrack. Somebody's going to be upset and angry for being lied to, cheated upon, stolen from And again, you can say, well, everybody lies, cheese and steel. No, just like everybody doesn't have affairs. Just like not all marriages end in divorce. But it requires extra work. But I don't know that that's true. Maybe it's not extra work. It just requires integrity, commitment, open disclosure, (sighs) empiricism, scientific methodology. Get the facts out. Offer a thesis. Study it. Apply it. Let's teach us. I don't to do is really get back to that feeling. It's not there anymore. Well, you can go have an affair, or if you've defined your relationship in terms of the 7 year or serial monogamy, then you just go to the person and say it's over. And if that's a disclosure and they're quite willing to live with that and accepted that and they're okay with relationships not lasting any longer or don't have any more of a basis of believing that they will except to say if it feels good we'll stay in it fine everybody's got a right to their opinion and certainly it's not my choice it's your choice and and as long as you've got mutual agreement that's the point it's all been negotiated on the front end. It's all been done in the same manner of science, empiricism, hypothetical deductive reasoning. This is the thesis. These are the terms. It's all openly disclosed. We've reconciled any sort of movement outside of those defining sort of elements or boundaries. Perfect. At least you've in the sense of complete. You've done it the best you can. And there are reasons people don't stay together besides being liars, cheats, and thieves. All kinds of reasons. Which might mean that somebody will have a first-time experience a second time. But if you've done it right the first time, then, then maybe there's with that idea of, well, it just didn't work, but we did the best we could. Maybe you could say to yourself, then I don't have to feel badly about it. I don't have to have contempt for myself or the other person. Because really, that's the thing that sort of maybe gets in the way too. Is if you don't allow yourself to be reconciled to the truth and you don't apply forgiveness or some degree of release to let it go, if you don't see it within the context of learning from it, adapting, being healthy moving on in a good way, which may at times include breaking that promise of my person, monogamy on a long-term basis, then at least you've done it the best way you could. and There are extenuating circumstances, and as the law likes to call it, irreconcilable differences. But you can't just use that as a cover or an excuse for not doing your work. Because then you'll discover, after it's all said and done, all this work that goes in weeding through or working through or resolving the damage. The anger, the hurt, the betrayal, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the collateral damage. And you've probably predisposed your kids to do the same thing. (laughs) They get to be adults and make those decisions. And with that, then they'll have to contend with their own. Now, is that a bad thing? We won't know, right? Until the end. And I guess as long as there's kids and they have kids and they have kids, who knows when that end might be. But even in a singular lifetime... What do you get at the end of it? What's going to come to you at the end of it? I'm not sure that you could expect much more than what you put into it or didn't put into it in this way that we've described it on the podcast. In short, affairs, even serial monogamy isn't necessarily anything that you can't do, it's just whether it's adaptive. Whether it will serve the long term benefits chasing after such kind of an imminent short term context. I need to feel better now. Of course, with Ed, what we've said is friend Ed, go talk to a therapist. You and Sherry sat down with somebody and hash this out. Work this out. Resolve. If you can't fix it, then there are irreconcilable differences, or there's not sufficient motive. At least do the best you can to clean up the mess before you move on to the next one. Accumulating a mess, (laughs) one relationship to the next. Maybe even lacking maturity to grow up. And maybe that's also why the article mentions it in context of older generations and younger. I kind of said something similar earlier on. When you're young, you really don't have the skill set to work through it quite like you do when you get older. But if you don't grow up and you just move from one relationship to the next and you don't learn the skill set, you shouldn't expect there to be anything but a mess at the end of your life. How many kids? How many marriages? Just what that means in terms of all of them. Again, adverse effects, collateral damage. You should take that in consideration. And should you put your energy into attempting to resolve it before you get there, maybe it won't end up in such a mess. Maybe it'll help you to grow. Maybe it'll be accountability, give you something of uh, feedback, allow you to face it and learn from it. And I think that is a higher standard because it's what science is. Science is, empirical thought is, the research model and methodology is don't go doing things based on feelings alone. I'm not saying science has any room for feelings, I'm just saying it's you can't totally remove feelings from the human dimension. And particularly the hedonic system is always, pleasure, pain, is always going to be part of it. It's the energy. It's what motivates us to do things, period. Anything. But let's at least lead with rationality and reasoning. Let's elevate... The scientific methodology, not just in words, not just to say it, but to really do it to the level that everything, including our feelings, kind of get filtered through it. Would be salted, as as it used to be said, by that, flavored by that. So that we're being true to ourselves as well as others. We're doing it the right way. The best way to determine what one reality really is. What all these facts and what all these real- truths, what all these realities, so to speak, uh, addresses comes to in terms of the narrative. You can live a life of fantasy and pleasure... And some people get away with it, whether it shortens your life or not, whether it affects the quality of your life or not. I don't know. Most people I talk to, anecdotally, don't seem happy with that, particularly as they get older and they begin to realize the cost of that and all this amasses or accumulates the point, the, the guilt. <gasps> it's not only an accusation at that point. It's like evidence everywhere of problems they're undeniable. It's not working well, if at all. And you eventually have to come to terms with it. But better to deal with it as it comes up if you salt it with this kind of approach. If you go to someone who is going to at least attempt to do that in the right sort of way, make a committed effort their life about doing it with integrity in the right sort of way, not just opinions. Again, figure out a thesis and test it. At least study it a bit before you make a decision that has impact along the level of Ed's. At least potential for impact along the level or to the extended degree of Ed's decision. But if you do that, it's work, but it's not the same degree of work and with that you grow with that not only do you grow as an individual but if you decide to stay in the relationship maybe you can go back and reclaim that or maybe you don't have to allow all the pain the adverse to cause you to forget memorize I said earlier to forget how beautiful it was how impassioned you were how thrilling how exciting how you can wow each other in that most wonderful way. And I am one of those that believes it's hard to do the first time over again. Forgiveness allows it to kind of come to that point, but even then, it's hard to completely erase the memory bank. It's hard to completely remove that residual. It's hard to completely... Trust someone again once you've been lied to. Trust a promise once it's been broken. (laughs) Make yourself vulnerable to somebody who cheats or somebody who is willing to steal. Take from you and not at least be willing to person up. And in Ed's case, I'm going to call it man up and face the consequences. Person up. That's what we try to do though, we try to hold people accountable, not to cause more pain, but to help them experience less pain and if they should feel pain, have it be instrumental, intentioned toward maturity, growth. And if you can preserve the relationship, it's better for everybody. You can lessen or mitigate the risk of casualty to individuals, to kids, Less depression, less anxiety, less psychological, social ill, healthier cultures, no lying, cheating, and stealing. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world? That in love itself sounds almost too idealistic, but in the same sort of way, parallel maybe, but maybe the same If you commit your life to that premise, I'm not going to lie, cheat and steal, I'm going to be at least attempting at all times with integrity to apply the best I know, highest order I know of human thought, then maybe the world will become a better place. Things will happen, people will get hurt. People still had to learn. People still have to mature, grow from child to adolescent to young adult to adult. But maybe at the end of your life, you'll be able to look back and say, yeah, but we did it the right way. And so the conclusions we got are the best that we could get. You can always change course. Forgiveness allows you to change course. This kind of reconciliation I'm calling forgiveness synonymous allows you to change course but you still got to clean up the mess just doesn't disappear or go away Besides yourself there's people you've harmed the world around you have to make amends as as 12 steps would put it but I'm going to encourage you to seek guidance and direction I think the article though it's more statistical than it is any sort of theoretical presentation, I think it leads us to at least appreciate statistics come from good science. And if we practice good science and apply it to our life, then maybe we'll have better opportunities for good outcomes. Isn't that what science is all about? If it's valid and reliable, then why would you choose to create problems? Why would you not see that in context of adapting, growth, doing better? I'd rather not know. Avoiding information about one's partner may not always be a bad thing. I'm going to take some contention with that if that was stated with the idea in mind of just simply edit. But I don't think that's what the article was saying. It's not just not knowing as with denial. I think it's not knowing as in accepting that your partner doesn't either have that pattern or if they should have that they've made a correction and you can look at that historically but you can also as the article points out focus on the present but if they're a liar cheating a thief are gonna you're gonna tell they're already gonna show signs of it and though this may be your first rodeo this first encounter first love i don't want you to be a casualty I don't want you to get hurt. Maybe there are first loves that don't get lost. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thought? Arash Amamzada, I'd rather not know, avoiding information about one's partner may not always be bad, psychology today, June of 2022. And of course, I'm Dave Clay, and you're listening to Word. And with that thought in mind, <laughs> we're going to end our podcast today. And a reminder, that's what Word's all about. is to share information, to encourage you to seek it out. Good information. Facts. Truth. And to not necessarily tell you what to do with it, but to encourage you <laughs> to apply the best and the highest order of thought to it so that you too can mitigate the pain in your life and make good decisions on the front end and should you find out that they don't always work to overcome whatever error in the most positive ways so you can move on to the next one and make it a keeper or something better for you in your life. So if you're at all inclined to agree with any of those premises, the intent of word, I'd like to invite you back for our next podcast. And in the meantime, I sincerely mean this. I would want you to have the best in terms of health and with that good mental health. Thanks. Thanks.